Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. However you got our show today, thank you for listening. And remember, there are loads of ways you can get the show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app. There's a, this little thing called iTunes, which apparently is quite good. And of course, you can turn us on every week on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On this week's show, we're going to be checking back with Hackerspace. We spoke to them a long time ago and they've progressed an awful lot since. We'll find out how far with Jeffrey Rowe from Hackerspace later. Uh, but first, joining me as always is Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. And really, I suppose, Niall, uh, there's one big story with lots in it this week and that is Google I.O. That's it, yeah. Google I.O. It's the annual developers conference. Apple has WWDC. Gamers have E3. Googlers have I.O. And it shall forever be thus. Facebook has F8 as well. Let's, let's not forget that. So um, a couple of things that have come out of um, the um, uh, event so far. I mean, it's going on as we're talking, so it's, it's not a done deal by, by any stretch. So there, there may be some spillover into next week's show if there's anything really cool happening. But uh, it, there's, there's sort of a nice text and a nice subtext going on. You know the way companies, like when they release something and they want to go, oh, yes, it's bigger and it's wonderful and it does this, there, there's always a little bit in the back of your mind going, if this is an entirely new product and it does something vaguely similar to something they're already doing, does that mean we're seeing the end of that and they're just not telling us? Well, I, I thought it was very interesting that throughout the entire presentation, they used the word hangouts d- no times at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, the, this particularly um, relates to two Messenger products, uh, Allo, Allo, and uh, Duo. And uh, they're cross-platform messengers, right? They, they both work for iOS and uh, Android. And uh, Allo is sort of the messenger one, and Duo is uh, the uh, voice chat client. Um, also, uh, so it does um, um, uh, video chat as well. So oh. it's kind of... Um, FaceTime, I guess, I guess you could say. So, yeah, that kind of overlaps a lot of what Messenger does and what Hangouts do. So I think it's fair to say that, you know, from this autumn or the summer when um, Allo and Duo come to market, that's the last we're going to see of them. The, uh, Messenger and um, Hangouts will, will just Hangouts is going to go. But listen, away. What, what, what they've done or what, they, what they're trying to get across, I suppose, is that they've made text messaging even better with Allo. So uh, in what ways have they yeah, done that? Now, I'm interested to get your uh, opinion on this because they integrate quite a few elements of um, Google Now into Allo. Now, you as somebody that likes uh, Google Now and and has used it, um, one of the new features of Allo is bringing in Google Now into a messenger environment, Mm. right? So they they just call it Assistant now. They they don't have a a fancy name like Siri or Cortana or anything like that. So is, is it sort of personal assistant as kind of a chatbot? Is that the sort of vibe you're getting from it? The gist of it of what I've got is you can be texting away and having a text conversation with people as you normally would, but like 
Google is listening and watching uh, all of your texts. So when you kind of go, hey, uh, you know what? Italian will be great tonight. Yeah, I wonder if there's an Italian restaurant nearby. And already Google has the answer and some suggested links for you. Um, that mm. was one of the examples uh, that I uh, that that I saw. Or another one was if somebody sends you a photograph and it's a picture of a dog, uh, Google will pop up some suggested replies, including like, "Oh, nice Labrador," which is actually quite clever in that it's able to identify what kind of a dog it is. Or I think one of the other examples was uh, pasta dish. And the answer was, uh, one of the suggested texts was, oh, pasta for dinner sounds nice. And the other one was uh, pasta with, or I think it was linguine with clams or whatever it was. But the, the, they correctly identified from the photograph what exactly was in the dish. Um, mm. One half of me is thinking, I, I have three halves, all right? <laughs> one half of me is very, very impressed with all of this. Uh, one half is thinking, now, there's an invasion of privacy. <laughs> All right. Every conversation you have, Google is listening. And then the third half of me is thinking, how annoying. Because Google doesn't get it right all the time. And as you're having a conversation with somebody, it's like having a nosy Parker sitting beside you and jumping in with exactly the wrong thing. Yeah, you see, I would be inclined towards your your last point there. That it's, it, it can be, if it's inaccurate... It could be infuriating. And even if it is accurate, I mean, I was having a a great conversation with my wife in the kitchen uh, earlier today, and we went through three topics, I'd say, in 15 seconds. (laughs) Now, (laughs) if Google's going to throw up a suggestion for every single one of those things, (laughs) we're in trouble. Well, actually, that's that's kind of a a scary side note. Like, if if Google's... uh, new assistant is going to be listening to you as well as monitoring your text messages. Does this mean it's going to start spewing potential topics for conversation at you as well for when things go things go a bit quiet in the homestead? <laughs> goodness knows, <laughs> but, goodness um, there, knows. There's a couple of um, interesting little side features that they threw in, um, kind of borrowing from the Snapchat, Snapchat end of things. Like one, one of them was you can, you can draw on pictures. Like uh, they they have a feature called ink and you know that's that's nice that's that's novel whatever. Um, however, there are two things that uh, I think warrant a better look at. One is uh, message expiration. So you know this message will self destruct after five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's quite useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and also an incognito mode where messages will delete as soon as you close the window. Ah, very well, I'm sure the FBI will be big fans of those features. <laughs> I'm sure they will be only delighted, uh, but you know, maybe they're stored away in some nugget part of your phone. But do you anyway. know what? Those um, features, whether you like them or not, the good thing about them is you have to uh, specifically um, turn them on in order to be mm. able to do those things. And maybe that's where the other things in, in text will go. Maybe it's going to listen in the background and maybe you can just hit a microphone button and go, Google, can you suggest an Italian restaurant or something like that. That could be quite Yeah. Handy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, uh, okay. So that's, that's Allo. Um, okay. We like Allo. Yep. Yeah, we like that overall. Yes, absolutely. What about Duo then? The, uh, the more the video uh, yeah. based app. Duo, uh, it pretty much is FaceTime really, but there, there's a couple of nice features in it. One is um, Knock Knock, which is uh, if somebody is trying to contact you, you get to see them before you actually pick up the call. Right, so at the moment, if, if you Skype me, I get your icon, and that's it. 
using Knock Knock, say you were trying to get me using Duo, I get to see through your webcam you with your face in your hands going, oh, for God's sake, will, will he answer? <laughs> um, so there, there is that. Um, but something that's actually useful, two things that are actually useful. One is that it is connection aware. So it can tell whether you're on 4G, 3G or Edge or Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and kind of just uh, accordingly, which is nice. Um, and Google is saying it is also fully encrypted. Ah, that's quite good, actually. Uh, and I think it's interesting that that is such a selling point, like a, a common theme of Allo and Duo is the sort of the, the implicit security element of it, you know, that in order to get people to use these features, they have to make people feel safe using the app in the first place in order to get the most out of it. Do you really think that's an issue for the vast majority of uh, regular, uh, regular heads? I do now, yeah, because like we are in a post-Snowden world. If, if we were having this conversation, what, two years ago, no, n- nobody would care. Now it's, you know, it's a, it's a standing joke. You assume that the FBI are, are listening to your phone conversations, you know. Um, so anything that plays up um, security... I think it's definitely much more of a selling point than it was two years ago. But yeah, I, I, what you're saying about security is very valid, but then what always makes me laugh is then you open up Facebook and people put the most intimate details of their lives up on that thing for all to see. I know, I know. <laughs> so that's why I'm kind of going, you know, roundabout. I don't think normal people really care, uh, but I think pe- people in business maybe or people in espionage... <laughs> <laughs> Russian spies put something to hide serial <laughs> adulterers <laughs> yeah adulterers actually yeah they, they, there's one actually I hadn't thought of um, yeah the, the only thing I, I'm the, the, what confuses me is that you know they're, they're ditching messenger they're ditching, ditching hangouts and now they're coming in with something as you say very similar that does the same thing but improvements but we wait and see uh, how it happens if you're trying to download them from the Play Store uh, be warned that uh, even though they're listed they're not actually downloadable at the moment, but you will get a notification when they are available later on in the year. Uh, tell me about Google I.O. Nile with uh, the brand new Android operating system. It's currently known as Android N. And I believe Android N, yeah. there is a public competition at the moment to name Android N. So I'm, I'm sure we've got millions of votes for Android Mac Droid Face. <laughs> <laughs> or it, it could be Irish, you know, Android knee Android or something like oh, that. Goodness knows what it is. Anyway, what's it going to do? That's the main thing. Yeah, well, one, one of the main things, I mean, there there has been a, an alpha version or sort of a developer pre-beta has been floating around for a couple of months now. Uh, one of the main things is uh, multitasking. They're doing something quite interesting about multitasking where you get to resize the uh, Windows, whatever you want. Also, they've borrowed um, uh, a little trick from Samsung, which is, you know, at the very top of your phone, they have that little icon tray um, that is going as standard across all versions of Android. Uh, So uh, one or two little interesting things there. But for me, this segues into Google's first real crack at virtual reality. Um, You know, all the cardboard stuff is great. All the little sort of niggly apps are, are great. But they're really going for it by introducing a dedicated VR mode into Android M. Uh, and to go with it, 
uh, there was a really good um, keynote by Clay Bavor, who is the, the VP, of, VP of virtual reality uh, with Google. And they are bringing out sort of um, a set of specs um, for anyone that wants to make a, a, um, a phone that wants to use VR as, as a selling point. So all the usual suspects like Asus LG, um, Lenovo, uh, Zario, all, all these sort of guys um, have signed up to do phones that will comply with the new standard, which is all based on sort of having good chips, good sensors, um, uh, the right apps, um, and just, you know, uh, enough sort of power to actually drive um, the graphic capability that you need. Um, he also showed off um, uh, a white label kind of headset idea that they have, which it actually looks really basic. I mean, if you think the the Galaxy Gear VR looks kind of meh, I mean, this is even more basic than that. Like, it looks like a jogger's headband with a, a visor in the front where you where you slip in your phone and that's it. Um, but they have an interesting hand controller, which they're working on at the moment. And it looks like something that's kind of... You know the way the remote control for the Apple TV has these sort of touch-sensitive elements to it? Mm. Um, we're, we're looking at something vaguely similar, only, you know, made by Google. So, you know, it's, it's white and it's very simple-looking. All right. So, it, it actually uh, reminds me of the, was it, was it the Nanchuk, they called it, on one of the games machines? That would, that on the Wii. The Wii. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was that's what i was thinking of when 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 they uh, when they were saying it do you think virtual reality is actually going to be a significant part of our lives in 10 years oh yes yeah and g- give it that window yeah absolutely i mean at the moment we're already seeing the integration of 360 degree video in uh, YouTube, hmm. we're seeing 360-degree camera rigs coming out by GoPro, Samsung. Um, did Nokia have one? So somebody, somebody, um, Samsung has one. Hmm. Um, so these things are coming onto market. Now, not for you and me. Um, we, we don't have that kind of interest. But for the TV sector, certainly. Uh, for marketers, and could you imagine, you know, instead of having to... Um, uh, book people in for test drives, just sort of put the rig on and away you go. Mm. We talked about um, stage agents using them um, not too long ago. So, yeah, the applications are certainly there. Um, it's it's just we're, we're only now beginning to see them expand beyond the gaming world and, and beyond the entertainment world. Mm. So, yeah, I think it'll just be part of the landscape in mm. 10 years' time. Listen, last thing from uh, Google I.O., I was very, very interested with this whole uh, Tensor processor. Uh, tensor is kind of like um, a tensor is like a muscle. All right. Uh, and what it does is it takes two useful things. And what a muscle will do then is bring them closer to make them do something. All right. So when you're talking about vectors and stuff like that, uh, a tensor is something that will go between the vectors and when you're adjusting the size. And it's always constantly recalculating this and so on and so forth. Um, and they've, they've brought, they've made this processor that is able to, you know, uh, link, say, graphics processors and CPUs and stuff like that. And they call it a tensor processor, which is able to bring these things closer and make them work even faster. And they say that the tensor processor, by adding it into the mix, has brought computer forward by seven years, which is amazing because they only announced it on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> ah, no, seriously, but, they, they've been using it in, the, in their own servers for the uh, for the last year and uh, and having and great success with it. Now, to, to be honest, it's way above my pay grade, but that's that's my understanding, and and uh, and I just think it's very very interesting that they, they they're coming. Google are coming at so many things on so many levels. Do you know what I mean? You've got your basic text and video app, and then you've got your uh, platform system. Then you've got virtual reality. Then you've got these massive supercomputer uh, uh, specialized chips and stuff like that. They're just they are the ultimate hackers. Which is kind you know, of that is a very interesting segue, Dusty. Well, I was about to say yes. It brings me nicely onto, but no, it's true though. I mean, Google are uh, hackers, and that's what they do. They get in and they play with all kinds of stuff. And it is leading me into uh, Jeffrey because uh, you went in and you met Jeffrey during the week. Jeffrey Rowe is uh, involved with Hackerspace, and essentially, Hackerspace are people that we met a long, 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 long time ago, and we wanted to see how they're getting on because we heard things are growing. And here's how Niall got on. I'm meeting with Jeffrey Rowe, and if that's a familiar name, you might remember all the way back in, I think, 2008 or thereabouts, we did a show from the TOG Hackerspace in Dublin, which at the time was an apartment above a cafe down on the Quays in Dublin, and uh, things have changed ever so slightly with the movement, and and also with um, TOG over time. So we're just going to have a general conversation about what the hackerspace is, what it would be called now, perhaps, uh, if it was being set up in 2016 as opposed to maybe 2006, and uh, what the average person can do to get involved in the movement if they like what they hear about it. Um, so, Jeff, it's, it has been about eight or nine years since, since we last chatted. So, um, for the uninitiated, tell us a little bit about TOG. So TOG is a hackerspace based in, uh, in Dublin City Centre. We provide a, a shared workspace to uh, our membership and to the general public. We're a place where people can come and be creative in all sorts of different technologies, be it electronics, you know, sewing, crafting, uh, metalwork, woodworking, lockpicking to holding Capture the Flag events. We range in all sorts of technology and interests. So uh, I remember when the last time I was there, there was um, a fairly sizable contingent of computers off to one side and people working uh, on Linux bugs. And I think at the time that was very much the um, popular perception of what a, a hackerspace did was that it, w- it was largely computers based. But uh, it's really not an accurate description, is it? Not really anymore. I think the organization is really driven by what people are interested in, and people's interests have changed over the last number of years. You'll see there's a huge interest in hobbyist electronics has come back in a big way. The whole maker movement as such has really taken off and taken footholds in people's interests. So you have them moving away from submitting bugs and helping out with the open source community more into the creating prototypes, uh, little gadgets and that sort of thing, uh, laser cutting, 3D printing, all that has taken off and has really become democratized with the price drop in all those sorts of machinery. I think one of the one of the main points that uh, it's it's important to emphasize is that if you were setting up the space now, you probably wouldn't call it a hackerspace, would you? Well, it's a very much uh, a highly topical issue. I guess the origins of the group came out of another group called uh, 2600 Dublin, which was primarily an info 
an information security meetup, and it was those people who came together to form the hackerspace, and that's why very much we still have the hackerspace ethos compared to a lot of the newer organizations with more identify themselves with their maker movement and call themselves uh, makerspaces. I guess we try and leave ourselves open to both people who are interested in the information security, the lockpicking, that sort of uh, direction, and the, the making side of things. I think we, we both we, we show both our stripes. I guess we were involved in information security conferences like uh, like DaggerCon there last year and stuff like that. So we still keep our, our toes in that world. And we're also involved in the maker movement locally here in Dublin with, with events such as Dublin Maker and and those sorts of maker movement events. So I think we're following both streams. But yes, I guess if we were setting up today, we might look at going for the more easier uh, public-facing name of a makerspace. So uh, when we're looking at the kind of projects that are going on at the moment, you sort of mentioned so hobbyist electronics, also sort of the, the return of materials, I guess. Um, it sort of implies a much lower bar to entry than there might have been in, in previous years. So what kind of projects are going on uh, at the moment? So uh, we're, we're really gearing up for our, our flagship event that we take part in called Double Maker in July. So a lot of our projects, our big projects are being made for that at the moment. So one, one example would be a member is working on uh, a bicycle trailer that as she cycles, it uses uh, high pressure water to spray a story on footpaths and so on. So as she cycles, you can follow the trail of a story behind her. Some of the other stuff we're working on uh, is uh, a pulse jet uh, engine bike. So uh, combining uh, some metal work and some machine work with, with, uh, with bikes. The other thing we're working on uh, for the Dublin Maker is a kind of an escape room experience. You can see they've risen in popularity a lot around in Dublin. There's lots of them around and we want to make a temporary one for the public to enjoy in July. So say, for example, you have uh, an idea for a project, right? Um, how do you go about engaging with TOG to find out, you know, if you have the facilities to explore it or, you know, whether even just somebody jives with the community? I guess the big uh, apprehension people have or the misconception is that we are not a prototyping service. You know, we're... Some people come along and go, can you make X thing for us? And the usual response is no. We will not make your product or your prototype, but we will help you get there. We will show you how to use the tools we have available. We'll show you where and what you need to learn to get there. So we're more of a helping hand to people who want to make things rather than a product or a service that people can consume. So we're very much interested in being a community of makers, so people who want to make things and not uh, a product or a service. And uh, part of uh, the evolution, I guess, of, of the maker movement has been um, the arrival of certain new and very inexpensive technologies over the, over the last few years. Uh, from your perspective, has there been any one or maybe two developments that have changed how makerspaces operate? I guess the two big pieces of machinery would be 3D printing and laser cutting. They both come down in prices. There's, be, there's both now open source uh, hardware that, that, that's available for people to make. So, for people to make. So, for example, we made our own uh, open source laser cutter. So we were looking at the more commercial ones like. Uh, 
Epilogue and, and so on, those other suppliers, but we really wanted to make something that was open source, so we went with the Laser Sore project, which is an open source uh, laser cutter, 100 watt uh, tube, where they just give you the plans and you have to go and build it yourself. So we had great fun and a really great experience in making that laser cutter ourselves. It certainly reduced the cost of buying a bigger machine compared to the more commercially available ones. So I think the the open source hardware movement has really spun up in the last, say, three to four years has really enabled us to get access to these higher level uh, machinery at much lower cost. So one of the things that uh, 3D printing seems to have done is really uh, democratize design and prototyping to, to a large extent. I mean, we were talking to um, the uh, 3D Printing Bureau out in Rathmines uh, a couple of months ago, and um, you know, they were saying that they were very much sort of the, the first of their kind. How has something like that become integrated into TOG? I mean, are, do you use this similar sort of submission and print kind of uh, a workflow? Uh, yes, I guess so. I think what people forget with 3D uh, printing is 3D design is hard. There's no getting away from it. Uh, it does take time. There is a learning curve. So we do get a lot of people coming up and, and asking us, can you print this for me? Yes, but they have to develop the model. So that's why we, uh, in the last 18 months, we started a new event called CAD Night, where people come along with their ideas or what they want to 3D print, and we will help them go through that learning cur- curve of learning Google SketchUp or learning AutoCAD to get up to grips to making the model first, because we find that making the actual model is the hardest part of 3D printing. There's plenty of uh, commercial companies like Shapeways out there where if you have your model already previously made, you can just go out to them and get it printed. But making the model is the hardest step. So that's why we have this special night, CAD nights, to help facilitate that. And what other areas do you find are particularly in demand at the moment? Would you, would you have, um, I guess the, co- the uh, web dev community is very active around Dublin already, so you mightn't see that much in the sense of you know, web designer or anything. But you know, are, do people still like chasing Linux bugs? They do. I think it's a lot of that stuff has it, it had shifted to purely online. You know, they have their bigger conferences and stuff. But they, what's kind of shifted us to up is more niche user groups. For example, uh, OpenStreetMaps. We recently hosted a, a mapping party for them where they come in, they fix bugs, uh, they do extra mapping. So we're, so although the Linux, uh, the general Linux bug uh, meetups and stuff has kind of fizzled out, the more niche ones like the OpenStreetMaps or a particular project has increased. And if somebody wanted to get involved with TOG, how can, how can they go about it? The best thing to do is check on our website, TOG.ie. You'll see uh, our calendar there of all our open events. They're all uh, free for people to come along. People can come along to any of our, any of our nights. We have uh, lockpicking nights. We have coding nights. We have CAD nights. We have electronics. We have a general open social once a month and once a weekend where we open our doors and people can come in and use our facilities for free. And the address? It's 22 Black Pits, Dublin 8. And that was Niall talking to Jeffrey Rowe from Hackerspace. Just before we go this week, Niall, what is our one more thing, one story online we just couldn't squeeze into the show? Yeah, well, if, if you're a LinkedIn account holder uh, and 
yourself and myself are um, better get down to techcentral.ie there's a very interesting story about your account credentials um, <laughs> yes. that you really should have a read of <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those where are you on LinkedIn oh yeah you, you were involved in this story oh am I really listen you get all the details on that and of course all the Irish tech news with hourly updates daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extron. So next week for myself, Dusty, and from Nile at Tech Central HQ, thanks as always for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.